Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. I've always wanted to settle this because I don't know the answer to this question and I don't think anybody does, but how well do you think you have to know a band to say you love them? Um, Okay. I would say you've got to, if they've got one record, you've got to probably like that record. Um, If they've got two records, you've probably got to like both records. Yeah. If they've got three, you can probably get away with liking two. And anything after that, you need to like at least 60% of their stuff. Okay, I can settle with those numbers. I'd say you go over 80% and you can start saying like... And then the 80% mark is when you're a cult? Yeah, I think it's when you, it's when you start to join that, uh, okay. that culty level. Well, it's when you get to start saying you're a deadhead. Or Floydian. Or, or, or Floydian. Or lighthead. Yeah. But well, that's me, but that's me. I don't know. If that's you, then I'm a very proud Floydian and a very proud leadhead. <laughs> okay, let's get started. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkonomics, two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Drunkonomics. If you have made it through this week, I commend your bravery. Yes, I'm pouring myself some bourbon right now because... He needs you know, it. if the world is about to end, judging by everyone else's behavior, it is. Well, not necessarily yesterday's behavior. I think they might. I think that yesterday was a dead cat bounce too. But okay. I think. Uh, well, either way, there's only a limited amount of days for me left to enjoy bourbon. <laughs> so I'm going to do that, and uh, I hope you are doing that too, because that seems really appropriate. So yeah, we know. To Aaron, his world is coming to a close. So. Well, if, if this is the nature of our life, it's like, dude, let's. Let's take a minute and uh, just appreciate this wonderful dram of bourbon. I know I talk about scotch Why all not? the time. Oh, yeah. I know I talk about scotch all the time, but uh, man, I don't know. It just kind of depends on the mood I'm in. Anyways, um, <clears throat> if you paid attention to anything this week, everybody declared the coronavirus a huge national emergency. As well as um, WHO said it's a pandemic yeah. now. So. so the markets obviously reacted pretty appropriately. But what I want to talk about is Donald Trump on Wednesday gives us this address about what he's going to do to help our economy stay afloat in the event that uh, a bunch of our businesses are affected by it, which they are. And oh, yeah. in my opinion, before Donald Trump even opened his mouth, no matter what he said, it wasn't going to help. It probably wasn't. He said a lot of things um, in the last few weeks that have made it so that no matter what he said Wednesday night, smart money was going to be money was going to be unhappy. People were going to be unhappy with him. He was either going to continue his denial of what his own experts were saying, in which case people are going to go, oh, he's not going to do anything. So panic or they're going to listen and they're going to go, oh, wow, he's changed his tune and now he agrees with his experts. Yeah, this is very serious panic. So it was it was, you know, (laughs) Yeah, you're but damned just, if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, I know. So that, and, and that's what I've been telling people. I've been telling everybody that all week because, you know, people now know that I'm doing this podcast. For some reason, they think I'm an expert. So they're asking me questions. What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to... So I'm just like, dude, I'm telling you, Donald Trump on Wednesday, you know, what do you think he's going to say? Oh, it doesn't matter what he says. The economy, like the markets are going to react very negatively on Thursday. And I got to tell you the truth. Say what you will about Donald Trump. 
I liked what he said on Wednesday. I mean, I, I think his travel ban was foolish. I don't know how it helps the, the, the problem. I mean, it keeps it from spreading. I mean, it's already here. The problem is it's already here. It's already here and it's already spreading in the communities. The traveling now isn't gonna, that's, it's too late. He's closing the barn door after the, after the horse is bolted. You, you got to think about it along these ways, along these lines. It's a giant barn with a million horses. So if you let three or four of them out, it's, yeah. you still got to shut it. That's why I think the travel ban is appropriate. But, it, but the same way, he, he can't win. It's like you said, he, you're damned if you, you're damned well, if you don't. It's, the problem is the travel restrictions to China were probably a good idea about now a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. It forced, for lack of better terms, the virus to travel west. So it gave the United States maybe a month of extra breathing room to see how this was really yeah, good. I think either way, though. The I, problem is he didn't learn the lessons that the rest of the world was teaching. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why everything has kind of like hit the fan is because there's still so many people out there that are like, this coronavirus thing is media-driven. You know, and, and, I, and I love this argument. I, I love the people that are saying the flu kills way more people than the coronavirus. No one's talking about the flu. It's like, yeah, because one, the flu has already existed for forever. But and and the flu, two, you have an immunity built up from last year's flu season. Yeah, and the flu isn't nearly as contagious as the coronavirus. No, this is about twice as contagious as the flu. Yeah. This, um, you know, we don't know about the coronavirus still. We don't know exactly how deadly it is. You know, we see in some countries it's not very, de- it's not lethal at all. We see in the Italy it's 4%. We see in other countries it's 2%. It's probably somewhere in between. It's probably a little lower in that there are some people who catch it and don't know. I just feel sick for a few days and recover. Right. Or fine. Yeah. Well, but then again, but by that same token, those same people catch the flu too and ignore it and they run through it. So it's one of those things where they say like, oh, it's not as dangerous as people say. It's like, well, the flu isn't either. It's because we only have the known cases. Yeah. Well, for me, that's enough coronavirus talk because Agreed. what I really want to... What, what's important now Let's is... Let's look at how it's affecting... I mean, because yeah. it's affecting markets now economies now in, yeah. in a real way like if you hate the coronavirus if you hate this coronavirus talk at least admit and be honest with the fact that this thing is killing our markets it's ki- well, i like, don't necessarily care about the markets it's killing economies it's, killing it's crushing econ- economies oh yeah it's, it's killing the markets but it's like the small business administration absolutely is absolutely freaking out because they don't know what to do if well, you're small a mom, businesses pa- don't know yeah small po- have no idea what to do you saw what happened in france today right what happened in France? France, today? Is, France today ordered that all cafes will shut down. I don't know and, what the hell else there is to do in France. Do they have an SBA to... No, this is the, this is the government of France pushing, like, sending down an order. You will close. You will not open. It's telling businesses they will not open. And now that's what, if you, if we want to get back to what... Um, no, but is there... What I'm, what I'm trying to ask is, in, in a place like France, do they have an, uh, an organization like the SBA to be like, you know, here's some here's some capital relief or... Uh, God, what... what, what? What was the well, word so that's, he so that's said? What the, so the Fed and the, and the Treasury have come through and they've said, with the declaration of emergency and other things have said, the entire point of Wednesday night is that they want to calm credit markets. They're essentially going to go out and they're going to make sure that no business fails because it can't operate. That existing debt won't be called in. So bars, cafes, small restaurants, small grocery stores, you know, the mom and pop businesses in the United yeah. States won't have to fail. Because they have no customers or because at some point maybe they're told their employees can't come to work, so they can't open. They've been told now there will be money available yeah, so that's, to see them that's through. Why, that's why I felt like I walked away from watching Donald Trump on Wednesday thinking, this is good. Like the economy, I don't want to say we need this because I don't, I don't think we have the biggest liquidity issue in the world. I think, but, that, I think that the federal government's stepping in to 
ensure that, 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 that small businesses will not necessarily fail due to this? Because this could last a month, you know, and some companies, you know, if you if it if it gets to a point where you can't open your doors for two or three weeks, yeah, that that's going to affect a business seriously and the employees that work there. So, I mean, as bartenders, we both know we can't work from home. Yeah. So, you know, essentially what happened was he said Congress is going to fund is going to give $50 billion to the SBA to provide extra capital and liquidity to firms affected by the coronavirus. Those are those are his exact words. On top of that, the Treasury is deferring tax payments without penalties or interest for people and businesses affected by the virus. And he'll provide $200 billion in capital and liquidity to the economy. I and, think the, he, I think he recently upped that to one and a half trillion. I think I think I saw the final number was about one and a half yeah, trillion. Yeah, that's that's what I saw today. For all of it was was the number that I've kind of been running with and operating under. I think the most important one here is actually going to be that withholding of um of the tax of the taxes. The government doesn't need that right now. Boy, that can make or break a business. If you're really looking at a time where I mean, wow, I, because earlier this week you thought that that was a dumb idea. Uh, no, I thought that a payroll tax holiday till the end of the year was a very transparent bribe to voters because from now to the end of the year doesn't matter um from now till the end of this emergency maybe because it puts more cash in people's hands and if companies aren't sending it on to the government why are the companies it kind of takes me back to this is funny henry ford um horrible human being really yeah horrifically anti-semitic like, okay. like not a not a good person. Well, they didn't t- they didn't teach that to me in history books, but well, they wouldn't, would they? Of course not. Um, but Henry Ford did pay his employees well. He played he paid them more than he needed to, uh, more than market forces. You wanted to work for Ford because you were going to make good money. And in the end, people kind of said, "Why do you pay them so much? You know, you could have them. You could make more profit personally if you didn't pay them as much." And his response essentially was along the lines of, "I pay them enough." So that they can go out and buy one of my products. I want them to be able to buy a Ford car. Chestnut checkers, man. I want them to be spending so much money, spend enough money in the community that other people in the community are making enough money off of them that they can go buy a Ford car. So fine. In the short term, you're right. I'm not making as much money as I could. In the long run, I will have more business and be more profitable. Wow. So it's that consideration. There's a guy that understands the cycle of the economy. A guy, a, at least a guy who knew which side of the bread was buttered. Let's put yeah. it that way. Okay. Well, I like your anecdote, but let's just agree to agree that he was playing chess while everyone was playing checkers. Absolutely. And so, he was a few moves ahead. Yes. Well, <laughs> at that's, that. that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, there's a guy that understands the cycle of the economy. But, Absolutely. So when it comes to like the federal government and the treasury and like, where are they getting all this cash from? Are they printing it? Like, no, are, is, I don't is, think is, Are they pulling from the excess reserves? Well, the federal government doesn't have reserves. It has a fe- We have a debt in this country. I know we do. But a lot of the excess reserves that private banks have are kept with the Fed. Aren't sure. They? So how, where is so, this money coming from? Yeah. It's government appropriation. Expectation that we can fund it with future debt issuances or increase in future tax receipts. That's it. And how exact? so how exactly are these... How exactly is the, is the federal government distributing this money into the economy? Like, like where is it? Where, where are the landing? Oh, then they're then they're printing the money, putting it into the economy, and they're doing it backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. That's yeah. It. So, but where are the landing spots for this cash? I mean, it's freaking one and a half trillion dollars. We're talking about so. Like, there's the repos, mm-hmm. which they're going to do, which they so, started doing. 
which is to say they buy back um, they buy back treasury bonds from that the private banks have already purchased. They buy them back from them with the guarantee that in the future, those banks will buy it back from the government. So essentially, I'll give you cash on these bonds with the understanding that in future, you'll buy these bonds back. The banks are giving the federal government these bonds as collateral uh-huh. against the money they're being given. So that's that's the immediate move they're making to free up liquidity, to free up cash, to, to make sure that there's liquidity in the market. Two, you've got the SBA that they've pumped money into it. And essentially now, you, if you're a small business, you go to them and you go, look, here are my books. I'm a profitable company, but half my staff has coronavirus or the entire neighborhood around me has coronavirus. Or in quarantine or whatever. Or quarantined or whatever it is. Or my business is slow because it's based on this and no one's here. No one's, I, I can't make money because I can't operate. So you'd have to go and apply for this $50 billion program. Yeah, I don't, well, they're not going to come to you. Like they're not just going to suddenly come out to businesses and go, Hey, who needs money? You have to go to them and request it. I so imagine. if you don't, if you're a small business and you didn't know this program was a thing, you yeah, I, ima- be, I imagine you'd be kind of shit out of luck if that was, if it was the different, if it was yeah, going to be the would. difference between still being open in six months and being closed in six weeks. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Well, so if you're in America, because I know we have an Aussie and Irish and whatever following. We do have and, a nice international following. Yeah, following, and, I, and so. I love you all very much. Um, we do. Unfortunately, but, this, isn't, this isn't a whole lot of help for you. Yeah, but if, you're, if you don't know about this SBA program and there's a small business that you care about a lot that might be potentially affected by the coronavirus, make sure you go and tell them. Seriously, that's not drunk Aaron saying that. That's just that's me being dead honest, you know. I know yeah, you can't tell, tell them, sometimes tell because... Them talk to their, tell them to talk to their local... Um, Small Business Association. Yeah. Uh, and they will, you know, in between that and the banks, because the banks have already been given, remember, two, three weeks ago, the, the banks were given a directive yeah. from the Fed, from the government, which was essentially within the realm of profitability, you need to continue to extend loans. You need to continue, you need to keep the credit market flowing and liquid. You can't let it lock up like it did in 2008. Yeah, I know, but I just, I feel like we've been in a liquidity trap for a while. I don't think it's a liquidity trap. I think we've had too much liquidity for a very long time. That's why I think it's a liquidity trap is because we're at that point where it doesn't matter if you invest or save or or spend because it's well, because, because money is so cheap now and there's no point in getting a well, 1% investor, return. Well, investing, saving, yeah. Well, there's no incentive to save. There hasn't been for quite some time. Yeah, that's, that's what true. I'm saying. So that's, that's the liquidity trap that I'm talking about is like there's no incentive for anybody to really... So essentially people want to hold onto their cash instead of buy debt is what you're saying. But we've I feel like we've been in that for the last three years and now we're even further down that trap. You know what I mean? I don't... It's not cash that people have been holding on to. People have been just focused on equity. They've been focusing on equity markets for the last 10 years in this country. Yeah, but I also feel and they've like they've ignored the debt markets. Know, they've, igno- I, they've ignored fixed income markets. Yeah, but I also... Okay, well... That's, and currency well, well, markets. Of course, but I feel like this is, the equity markets have also been really algo trader driven. But that's a that's a wrap. We'll save that for another episode. Like we need to spend an episode where we just talk about algo we'll, trading. We'll spend an episode on algo trading because that stuff is just uh, algo trading and HFT high frequency trading. No, I don't like. I think high frequency trading is. Uh, I have. I have my opinions. I on, have certain. I have, yeah, my opinions, I have issues with. I have it. my opinions on algo trading too, and I think they align with yours. But we'll save that for that episode. Yeah. But anyways. Sorry um, to tease you with that, mystery. Like so, are, like can we at least admit for now that we are in a liquidity trap? I think I think there's a crisis. There's an uncertainty issue now. So I don't know if it's a liquidity trap that's causing people to go to cash. I think now it's uncertainty, and they want to have it in their hand because they don't know if they are going to need it. Let's put it this way: I base that on today was the Nebraska 
high school boys basketball championship uh-huh. and hotels were empty yep, they were bars were empty yeah it what is. should have been packed what should have been packed hotels the games were played with no fans or with the fans that were immediate family members of the players it. and the coaches but that's it no other fans, so the hotels are empty, the restaurants are empty, the bars are empty. And so people have gone to cash because, you know what, they don't know when, you know, as, as bartenders, so today wasn't a great day to work, I bet tonight's not a great night to work. No. Wednesday for me, was there was a show and it was still not a good night to work. It was a slow week for me too, man. It's been slow. And that's slow, I think, is people going to cash and they're holding on to it. They're not spending. They're not consuming the way that they. Yeah, but that's but that's the kind of posture <laughs> we'd like, I should say. The, uh, yeah, me personally, as a bartender, but the banks have they've been posturing as such too. Like, I mean, the last like I don't know how long was it? Maybe five years, I think. What's that? What's what's it called when uh, you have to have this much cash on hand? And capital reserve requirement. Capital reserve. That's the, okay. Yeah. So banks have a capital reserve requirement, so they have mm-hmm. to have cash on hand. Um, in case everybody wants their money back, not everybody, because because if a if if everybody wanted their money bank the, the, money the, back on a single day, a bank would fail. Okay, yeah, but, but there's a certain amount of it that they have they to have hold to on have to. On hand. Exactly. But right now, we're, now this like, doesn't. Now, for those of you that are asking or thinking specifically about American banks, this is the amount of this is the amount of savings you have in a bank. This isn't to do with your checking account. Your checking account is cash, no matter See, what. Your checking account is a liability on the bank's books, and it's called um, checkable deposits, essentially. Really, that's that's what or it is. Anytime depo- it's an anytime deposit. That's so what they it is in the county. Absolutely, for the bank, for the on the bank's balance sheet, your checking account, the cash goes on the asset side. On the liability side, there's it's called it's just called checkable deposits. And it just, it's essentially, they understand that this is money that you could want access to. This is why this is M1 money supply. It's money that's available instantly. It's cash. It's in a checking account. M2 money supply is where your savings account is because the bank considers that a little differently. It doesn't call it checkable deposit. It puts the cash on the on the asset side of things still, but on their on the liability side of things, it's a it's a savings account, and so it's against that that they have to have they have to have that liquidity requirement. They have to have the capital reserve requirement because it's against the savings, the money you put in for savings. They make loans, yeah. right? Because remember, the checking account you could go in tomorrow and clear out your checking account, and they can't stop you. But remember, if you go into your savings account more often than maybe once or twice a month, three times a month, they start charging banks you. will charge you for it, and they'll say, "Hey, look, you're." costing us money now because it affects their ability to loan your money to, to loan that money, money out and bring it back in yeah but what we're seeing recently is like as far as excess cash goes banks have over like well over two trillion dollars of excess cash all the banks okay and that's being held at the at the fed and that that's like you well, yeah, said that's where that, that, yeah like what you said when you look at the balance sheet for the federal reserve that's on their liability side too right? anything so, you're holding that isn't yours is a liability Right, exactly. So if we had to draw it down to like how individual people in the economy are behaving, they're posturing as if they're going to need their cash yes. soon. And their cash is more valuable than what the, the, what the equity markets, the debt markets have to offer. Well, let, and, me, let me ask you this. And, uh, well, and, the, and the banks are, be, are kind of behaving like that too. I think banks, have, banks and hedge funds and the rest... We've, we talked a few episodes ago about how there were those Fridays where the markets would end down, where the yeah. market would be down 800 points or so. Yeah. And that it's was, and, and, and we kind of speculated, you and I postulated that, or at least I had postulated, and I think you agreed that that was probably the smart money getting out, unlevering itself so that when the market devalued, it could, could hedge back in, get back in and, yeah. and really make money on that growth because they could be buying back what they know is going to shoot back up for substantially less and, well, and 
Make a better percentage growth. Let's put it that way. Well, I, I kind of wonder right now how the oil hedges are, <laughs> are behaving this week, man. <laughs> well, if you're Carl Icahn, you're probably, you're happy because you're in a position where you're able to buy into uh, Occidental Oil and some others yeah. in, a, in a meaningful way for, oh, yeah. for less money than it would have cost you yeah. a week ago. But anyways, the question you're trying to ask me, what were you trying to ask well, me okay. a second ago? Um, so the question is, why are banks and why are people going, or my, it wasn't my question, but you were saying that banks and people were going to cash. They yeah. Are. I can't buy toilet paper or, uh, or food or anything with stock. I have to go to cash. In order to in order to make those transactions, and we're currently seeing kind of a run on things like Amazon doesn't have toilet paper, Hy-V doesn't have toilet paper. Well, you want to know something crazy? This is like this is, is not a, this is not a joke. This What's is my that? roommate. So in, in case you're listening, the one in the basement or the one upstairs, the one in the basement. So if you guys don't know, okay, I know exactly you, who you're talking about. If you guys about. don't, yeah. So James, James, let's not, let's not let's not throw his name out there because okay, that's... but I'll say his first name, Tyler. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> done. Anyways, so the people that don't, if the people that don't know my roommate, in case you want to like have someone in mind to at least kind of like know who I'm talking about, think of the stupidest person you know. Think of the <laughs> dumbest person you know. And my roommate Tyler, his real first name. My roommate Tyler. It really is his first name. Yeah. This, this may well end a lease. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. So my he's he's already he's already he's already kind of famous in Lincoln, Nebraska. But kind of. How much but toilet to, paper does he have? Is no, that no, what this no, is going? No, no, no. It has nothing to do with how much toilet paper he has. But uh, so think of the dumbest person you know, and Tyler is even dumber than that person. So he, like we went to, he went to Hive the other day and he bought like two six packs of toilet paper and uh you know he found out about this whole toilet paper thing so he ended up taking a picture of one of the six packs and putting it on facebook marketplace for fifty dollars no he didn't and someone someone was like hey is this thing still for sale you're you're not joking you're kidding he sold he sold six rolls of toilet paper no, no, for fifty dollars no, no. I, I don't know if he sold it but someone messaged him and i was I'm, gonna say he's not the dumbest person you know then he's a fucking genius well i I know so that's what i'm saying like that was literally the smartest (laughs) thing i've ever seen him do is he a douchebag for it yeah but i really admire his dude i admire his entrepreneurial spirit man i'm he's selling he's selling to a willing buyer i don't care yep i don't care i was like dude (laughs) that is the funny but anyways i went off a little on a little tangent there oh you're but but just just in case people are wondering how serious this coronavirus thing is there you go. Well, it's not that That's, serious. It's it's fifty dollars for six six rolls of toilet paper. Here's, here's all I'll say. Maybe maybe this is going to turn some listeners off to me. Please say if, it then. If I ever needed any more reason to get the bidet that I want, it was this. It's a bidet. Uh, essentially, it's a fancy hose for your toilet. It's actually better for you. It's more hygienic than fancy. using toilet paper. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. I, you know what? My, dude, my parents have one of those. See? Uh, so I was like, at this point, dude. we're looking at it's like, oh, $50 for toilet paper, or you can spend $50 and get a nice bidet that even heats its own water. And so you're at that point, you're like, well, I mean, this bidet, can, I can take this from toilet to toilet. If we want to make an economic comment, this is an investment, not a consumption. Wow. Or if it is a consumption, it's a durable good. You dropped the I word. But uh, anyways, yeah, I totally forgot what we were going to talk about. What were we well, talking we're gonna about, talk about um, Oh, we're, well, we were talking we're about... We talking about the, the money multiplier effect. Oh, oh yeah. Well, okay, well, so we were talking about uh, how people want to hold cash because yep. they need to buy toilet paper. And, right? this is gonna, and this is what this is going to do is it's going it's gonna to stall the money multiplier. Yeah. So, okay, so what, what is the money multiplier? So I, I was looking, doing some okay. research on it earlier today. So but the money multiplier effect is something we talk about, I want to say in macroeconomics, but it might be microeconomic theory. 
um, in your intro class, uh, what you realize is what happens is you take a dollar. So for every hundred dollars you take to the bank, you put it in the bank in a savings account and the bank goes, OK, I can now lend a portion of this out. And the portion the bank can't lend out is called the reserve requirement, which we talked about, um, because the expectation is you're dealing with 100,000 customers and maybe only a thousand of them on a given day are going to come and take their money. So you can, with a degree of statistical confidence or deviation. Yeah, you can with, with within reasonable certainty know how much money you need to have on hand at any given time and you say it's a percentage of what you've already got out or what you're holding so let's just say for this fictitious bank for this person who put a hundred dollars in the bank it's ten percent which means the bank has to hold on to ten percent but the bank can then lend out ninety dollars the bank lends out ninety dollars because because they because they're a bank why not behaving like a bank um and now that ninety dollars is being lent out to people who spend it and it ends up back in the bank at ninety dollars and being put back in that bank after being spent somewhere at other businesses right uh ends up back in that bank at ninety dollars but they still have to hold on to ten percent of it so they have to hold on to nine dollars so now they can take in that eighty one dollars again they can send it back out so this money multiplier effect is essentially how much money is there flowing around an economy based on on one dollar so one dollar with the money multiplier can become six seven eight nine dollars which should be a number that's much greater than one not much greater than one but you want it to be you want the money multiplier to be greater than the dollar right but when when people aren't leaving in the bank or when they're hoarding it themselves and not spending it so is the money multiplier like an indicator of credit essentially not uh, well or credit confidence to an extent i suppose it could be i would say the money multiplier is more along the lines of it tells you the value of either spending your cash or putting your money in the bank you so i made a hundred dollars doing my job i put it in the bank the bank loans it out to businesses or people running businesses who then can who spend the money in the community and those businesses deposit the money in the bank because where else would they put their revenue right yeah so that's how that that so it's just it's this multiple flow of it's this ebb and flow essentially of Someone spending money, someone else receiving that money and then putting it in the bank because most cash isn't used for cash in, the, in this world. It's put in the bank so that it right, can yeah. be electronically worked with yeah. later. So um, how does it? So how does it play with if the money multiplier is too high or too low? What does that okay, mean? Okay, so if it's too high, what you've essentially got is either you don't have enough reserve in a bank. Okay, well that's scary. Or you have a money multiplier that's too high. It means that um, people how, are. But how would it mean? There's, there's not enough reserve. It would mean that your banks are loaning out. If a bank is taking $100 in and loaning $100 out and they're not holding any reserve, you've got a money multiplier that's huge, yeah. right? So if it gets too high, it means that your money is being, it means that it's ne- there's no point at which the bank, the bank is slowing down this $1 essentially too slowly. If it slows it down too much, that means that there's no credit in the market. Okay. If it doesn't slow it down enough, it means there's too much credit. So let's say, so like right now, I think right now the money multiplier is below one. So what does that mean? Is they're holding on to too much excess cash? I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. Because they are. I mean like Well if they've got like, that much sitting in the Fed on, on their balance sheet, then yeah, they're not making loans in the way you'd ideally want them to. Hopefully the the reason for that is that they're looking and the people that are asking for loans don't deserve them. Aren't aren't safe yeah. bets, right? So banks are also businesses. They have to make they have to risk they have to weigh, you know, a CBA, a cost-benefit analysis. Mm-hmm, they're not yeah. going to lend into a hole. They're not going to lend to a bat. You know, someone who's opened three failed bars. They're not going to lend to them for a fourth bar because they finally figured it out, yeah. right? It's not going to. 
It's well, just it's not, just like mortgages. I mean, if you have a low yeah, credit score, they're going to charge you, have, you interest like crazy. Yeah, and eventually you can't qualify right, yeah. for that because they just go, no, he he does. This person has has six bankruptcies and four foreclosures. We're not going to get our money back. So be, it, it, it would be fiduciary misconduct to to loan to that person yeah. without some sort of massive. Uh, so you're guarantee. saying is, is this an implication that? There's the credit sentiment is going down as, as far as on the bank's I behalf. Don't, I, I don't think so. Not yeah. given not given what the government has instructed them to do. I think what they're well, looking the government at is telling them to hey, dude, loan like well, it's telling, telling them they, it's telling money, they have to make loans or yeah. at least or at least honor or at least keep certain credit lines going. I think what this, I, I think a lowering money multiplier right now. I don't think it's the banks. I think it's I think it's what's happening is it's not going back into the bank to be multiplied again. It's that people are holding it. And it comes back to like what we were talking about earlier, like by lowering interest rates, what does that really help? Well, people aren't buying houses. They're not going on that dream vacation. Well, we talked about that supply and demand curve. That's that demand curve shifting all the way to the left. Way left, yeah. Way or, left. Yeah, no, it's, this is, we're dealing with now an issue of people aren't spending their money. That's, I think. So people are holding, they're exchanging their cash equivalents for cash. Yep. And they're moving. They're, well, people are moving to cash and then they're buying what they really need, mm-hmm. but they're hoarding cash and toilet paper and hand like soap. Cash. Yeah. And Clorox wipes. And Clorox wipes, all of it. And it's one of those things you look at and you're just kind of like, washing your hands is a great way to not get sick. And um, having hand soaps so that you can wash your hands is good. But the entire premise of washing your hands to prevent an outbreak like this, it's predicated on the fact that everyone's washing their hands. So if you have 30 things of hand soap and hand sanitizer and 10 other people don't have any, you've spent a lot of money to still get sick. It's not going to prevent you from getting sick. These people will still get you sick if you're going to get sick. Well, and hand sanitizer actually doesn't kill any bacteria. It just keeps it from growing for, for a while. I mean, dude, a microbiologist... That I, a friend microbiologist was like, you know, I looked at a petri dish under a microscope, and we studied soap and water with hand sanitizer. Oh, hand, uh, soap and water is much better. Way better. It's not even close. Yeah, so, you know that's why. Like every time I go to the like, yeah, I go to the gym a lot. If you guys don't know, I I I, I try to work out every yeah, day. Yeah, he's a bro. I, I'm I'm a tool. I'm 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 a hero. If as an osteo call, I'm a hero. He's not, but well, he he yeah, he would be. But um, what I'll say is um, he he lifts. Yeah, because I'm freaking stupid but every time after i lift i used to do hand sanitizer now every time i every time i'm done working out like mm-hmm. before i leave i always go to the bathroom soap and water so want to wash know, your hands every time absolutely and every time i use a machine or use whatever i wipe it down with whatever that antibacterial spray that they have yep. you know quick, quick when always you're good. do it but, it's, yeah. but if, if no one else is doing it, it's like, okay, well, this exactly. is all for so, naught, you know? Yeah, it's, exactly it's all for naught. it's but it's, at the same time i want to tell everybody to wash like everyone i i, I yeah. know Wash your hands with soap and water. Soap and water, soap and better water. way to go. Yeah. Everybody wash your hands with soap and water. It's, no, very, it's very much boils down to, if you don't wash your hands, you're almost certainly going to get sick. If you're the only person washing your hands, you're almost certainly going to get sick. But if everyone washes their hands, hey, yeah. we're probably so, going to be okay. So the person that's buying all that soap, dude, good hopefully, on you. Yeah. Hopefully everybody else Please follows. Share. Literally, yeah, literally 100% of the people should follow suit. Every, 100% of people should to be washing their hands with soap and water because this is where we are right now. This we is, ha- we're having to we're having to reward people and and applaud them for washing yeah. their hands. This is where the world is headed. This is where the economy is headed. No one's no one's happy right now. All right. I mean, no, I mean, because you have people ha- that are buying, you have people creating very weird situations where they're where they're they're buying all the supply and restricting it. You know, yeah. it's, it's so economics. 
boils down to supply and demand. That's that's how everything is determined. That's the lifeblood of that's the oil of economics. Absolutely. Right. So if everybody is running for their cash right now, mm-hmm. you know, the value of cash is gonna go up. This is what we talked about in our first episode. When See, we but said, it's not I don't and you're right, because everyone's going to cash. But the problem is people aren't going to cash just for cash's sake. They're going to cash for its ability to buy other things. The problem is those other things are restricted. So well, but that's why would anyone go to cash? I see I see the angle in which cash is more valuable than debt. Okay. But I see that angle and I understand that angle. But most actors in an economy mm-hmm. don't run to cash because it's more valuable than something else. They run to cash because they need to buy stuff. Which is what's happening right now. Which is you're, exactly you're right. People are going right to cash because they need to buy something else. They're also going to cash because but I'm saying like most when I say most actors, I'm not saying the biggest player. Yeah. I'm saying like if Goldman Sachs goes to cash, they're not gonna spend cash. They're going to cash because it's they're posturing. They're going to cash they're because going to, well, you go to they're cash, going because, to cash you, because they're trying to meet their liquidity liquidity coverage ratio. Yes, I'm looking at my notes. Um, well, they might also be going. Ratio. They might be going to cash for that purpose. They might be going to cash because they intend to make a purchase. They might be going to cash because they might need to make a purchase later. Exactly. They might need to. Right. So, exactly. but, they, but they might not. But they might not. But everybody else, like people like you and me, people like everybody you know. They when they go to cash, it's because they need to buy something or they need to pay off something. They need yeah, to- they need they need because they need to spend that cash somewhere. It's also possible that they would someone like us would go to cash because they don't know what they need, but they know it's not what they had. Okay, that, and and that's fair too. I mean, I, and I guess that's and, how, and that's and I guess that's the, how banks behave too. Well, it's also but, but it's also the beauty of what cash is. Cash is essentially you know it has multiple purposes. It's a medium of exchange. It's a store of value, and that's what you need it to be in a time like this. It's a medium of exchange and a store of value in a time when you don't know what you might need. Yeah, or what and, something might be worth. the The idea of currency is one of the more civilizing factors in human history. It's also one of the more um, okay, brilliant yeah, factors is stabilize and, and of, of the stability of human. It is, but I want to. But I also okay. So I also want to talk about gold and precious metals too, because the foreign exchange market with sure. with, with these forex rates fluctuating all the time. W- what has been like the most the happy medium? It's been, it's been gold, right? Precious metals. Well, people have all currencies pegged. Are most cur- aren't most currencies pegged? Not to gold? anymore. Not really? anymore. Not, not since the seventies. Um, because there's a finite amount of gold. Is it because of is it because of central banks too? Well, you've got the. I mean, so the U.S. went there, and I, I forget which. I think it was. Well, we had the gold standard up until what? Seventies, sixties. I think mid seventies, early seventies. Yeah, when we went to free float. So when you peg yourself to a current to a commodity like that, if we really want to talk about the history of like currency, gold for whatever reason has always been considered a precious metal. I think people just like how it wo- how it looks. It's lustrous. It's also pretty soft and malleable. It's useless it's for warfare. Ver- but it's, it's useful. But it's very versatile. It's very versatile. Well, you, you, you can have create- a you can have a golden spearhead, even though why would you do? No, that? it's very. It's well, you could. But why would you? Because it's very. Mal- it's useless. That's what I'm saying. Why would you do that? <clears throat> it's useless for warfare, but it's it's pretty. It's yellow, and for whatever reason, people have decided that that's the one. Yeah. They want to go with they want to go with Oris. And so it's they, heavy as hell. Yeah, it's got it's some he- density to it. So that's that's I guess it's a fair point. Like, um, it like, is it is pretty weighty. That's it, true. It's heavier than a bottle of scotch. That's for sure. Well, it depends on well any anything could be heavier than a bottle of scotch if I, if we put enough of it oh, together. Yeah. Well, uh, if, if we record enough episodes, one day we'll figure out exactly how many feathers I need. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and this is exactly more than a <laughs> bottle of scotch because it's one feather extra. <laughs> it's a straw that broke the camel's the feather that broke the camel's hey. back. Hey. 
No, so uh, they decided to initially do coinage out of gold and then eventually silver and other, well, copper, gold, silver, iron, those things. So eventually you have a decision. You decide what it is. You have a single metal that you want to make your currency out of. This is before paper currency or fiat currency, as it's called. So you get to look at these things where coin size and you could tell exactly how much of a precious metal was in each coin. So you knew. And then during times of inflation, you would make your coins with less of the precious metal you were talking about, usually gold and more of filler metals. So nickel, zinc, whatever. Right. Yeah. So that's where the term inflation comes from is that you would have the same number. You'd have more coins out there, but they would have less value. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely where inflation comes from. Because pennies are made of copper and, now it's exactly. all filler and, and it's well it's all it's all filler and it's actually the entertaining part is that still the metal that makes up a penny is worth more than the actual, actual currency denomination yeah. which anyways that's a different no, so so we had this we were pegged to the to the to gold and just because it was a thing that was yeah, fine but i thought for a while every every currency was pegged to gold absolutely at some point it wasn't necessarily pegged to gold there was a time where all currency was gold <laughs> It yeah. was precious metal. It was the coin. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, because right now, how do you do? So how do you, how do you determine a dollar is you know ninety percent of a euro? You know, uh, you get essentially you boil down to a point where it goes. You have markets and people decide. I'm willing to give you nine tenths of a euro for your dollar, and based on good exchange of goods mainly through import export markets yeah, but to me that would it, it'd make a lot more sense if everybody was pegged to gold that would make sense as but to, then but then we would just use a universal currency of gold so i, I think i agree i, think, I agree but I i'm saying like but both. i'm saying like but i'm saying like if if it costs a it, okay well gold is what like a three thousand or something like that right now oh, because no it's going through the roof so let's say well, it, it came down the other day it came down but yesterday it's still, it's still it came down up. yesterday but it's still up year to day it's still, it's still up year way to day. up yeah. yeah it's still up um, and it shouldn't be because you know the great thing about gold folks you you got me. You can't eat it. It's not useful as a toilet paper. It's what's. It doesn't hold value in a useful way. If you were to it holds value, it holds value like Bitcoin holds value. It's a perception of gold. It's a perception but of value. Bitcoin is yeah. a little bit more volatile, substantially just, more volatile. Just, just a little bit. No, just a little bit. I suppose. I suppose theoretically, just a little end, bit more volatile. In the like end, I'm, at least, gold is a metal that can be used to. Oh, make, dude! By the way, I said to out, make to make things or to uh, carry. Electrical current, albeit not well. Oh. So it does have it does have some uh, benefits over Bitcoin, personally. Yeah. No, I know. I, I'm being. I'm, I'm being. No, smart. I know you're speaking facetiously. Okay, but okay. I do want you to know. I sent out a tweet earlier today mm-hmm. because Donald Trump. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, keep going. Catch your breath. Whatever. Yeah. I know. All right. What did he do? Okay, okay so you Don- sent out a tweet. Okay. Yes, Donald Trump said. <laughs> this is so funny to me. He said he's thinking about replacing Jerome Powell. He hasn't made any decisions yet, but he wants to, he's thinking about axing Jerome Powell. So, so what I said, my tweet was, I, I saw that article, it was a CNBC article. Yep. I retweeted that with a quote saying, he should hire the guy from the Bitcoin Federal Reserve. I actually like that very much. You're Thank very you. good. I'm, what bothers me is that I'm, Jerome- I'm, I'm, I'm a genius on Twitter, guys. You should all follow me. <laughs> Drunk, well, at Drunkonomical. Absolutely. Follow but, us. Uh, anyways, if you don't know, we, we love CNBC. I used, to, I used to work at CNBC. This journal that I'm taking notes in is a journal that I got when I was working at CNBC. But I was watching CNBC the other day, and uh, there was a J.P. Morgan bond strategist that was on. And he was like, I- I'm going to summarize this in bro language. He was like, dude, this whiskey tastes amazing. And I think Jerome Powell is going to lower rates, or not Jerome Powell, but Donald Trump is going to lower rates to zero. 
And I feel like that's kind of the posturing that the big banks are seeing now. It's the posturing big banks are trying to push is, for. Is 0%? Why not? 0% and a free flow of cash. Because that's... This well, is what, but, you know, they'll see their profits go down, but they'll also see their ability to expand when as things go back up. Yeah. But like um, I said, this is the nature of our economy now. This is... This I, is let's put it this way. I don't know if... Uh, they'll hit zero before we go into recession. This is this is why two weeks ago I was saying that a fifty point cut was too soon and unnecessary at the time. Yeah, and we have no room to cut anymore. We have no room to play ball. And this is and it was an unnecessary know, cut that didn't do what it was supposed to. It's supposed to stabilize markets. No, these aren't markets responding. The markets. Well, it's aren't like you said. You said at quarter past two in the igloo. Yeah. You said if they cut rates now, it's too soon. Now they mm-hmm. have no room to play ball. They should wait to cut rates. Yeah. And now we have the fiscal arm saying, look, we're going we're gonna to pump two- Fiscal arm's trying. They're trying, but they're also pumping $1.5 trillion into the economy. Fiscal arm also takes some- Usually fiscal arm takes at least a year to get noticed. I know, but here we are. Fiscal arm should have started picking up this load a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah, but they didn't know the coronavirus was going to hit us like this. No, but if the economy was as good as they'd said, monetary arm should have gotten to stop- should have stopped trying to fight that tug of war and they should have handed it over to fiscal. Yeah, well, they should have. When, when they brought the rates to two and a half percent or no, two and a quarter to two and a half. Was that the range? I think. Yeah. I was like, this is great. It's good. This it's, is great. We should have done this a long time ago. Yeah. Now the banks will start making money. Uh-huh. And, and hope, hope. Not that, that it, they weren't making money before. No, but, I mean, it, but it pushes but, up banks' ability to have earnings and, and, Bank earnings, people investing in banks, is always the financial sector and the insurance sector of this country. So when insurance, when I'm sorry, interest rates go up, banks and interest or banks and insurance companies make more money. They make more profit. Well, they make more profit. That's true. Now, ideally, you'd like to see your insurance companies lower premiums at that point because they're able to make more money in markets than they are. Yeah, well, they're uh, off necessarily what you're doing, but that's not what happens. That's not what happens. Yeah, well, insurance markets have been very unstable, especially since 2008. And whenever markets go sideways like this, what happens to all the major sentiments like oh, investment yeah. sentiment consumer sentiment credit sentiment like the, all that has disappeared overnight well, absolutely but it's because you have to look at it this way i need a roof over my head i need my water to flow and i need to be able to wipe i need to wipe my ass or flush it with my bidet and i need to be able to eat and if i can't satisfy those needs what does it matter whether i can buy a new boat yeah. so all that has gone away and you know and guy dami on uh, adami that guy guy dami i don't know I don't know him personally. Me neither. Cross paths him several times when I worked at CNBC. But, you know, he had a great speech on CNBC not too long ago when he was talking about the chickens have come in, have finally come home to roost. Because they have. Absolutely. And, you know, and everybody was talking about how the economy was doing so well because all these major sentiments, I don't even know, like there's a thousand of them. I don't know what they all are. Mm-hmm. But they're all looking great, even yeah, though but- interest rates were really low. Which is generally a reactive. It's expansionary policy. Yeah, and, and and it's designed for a moment in which the economy is behaving the way it is now. All right, so I want to wrap because we've been talking forever. Again. All right, so if we're gonna wrap it up, let's wrap it up. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll uh, s- yeah. You'll so hear from us next week. So you're probably gonna hear us on a Wednesday or after. But yesterday the markets actually went up. It grew. Yeah. I, I don't know. Which, I think it's people buying back into a position. Is there a circuit breaker for when when the markets go up no. too fast? No. There's no upward circuit breaker, which really should tell you something. They don't like it when a bubble pops, but they're fine blowing the bubble. So is this like I don't know the the VIX the VIX is actually at like forty now. Really? Because it was seven, actually, it was in the seventies last time. It was in the seventies, which is you know that's like what I want to see on my scorecard after 18 holes, not what I want to see on the VIX. No, you know? Absolutely not. So, um, 57.8. Gosh, it's, oh, I was way off earlier. Oh my God. 
Yeah, so, okay. But I think it's down right. from about 76 I saw the other day. Okay, it's, it's, even then, 76 is not a good score after 18 holes. For me, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you like shooting at 76, let's play golf sometime and put up $100. But <laughs> volatility is still going crazy right now. Volatility is still volatile, which I think kind of leads to, the, to what you said earlier. I think I think this is a dead cat bounce. I think this one was too. I think this I think this was the logical good response to the fact that national emergencies have been declared and governments are now taking this seriously. The problem is it's still going to be yeah. bad. But, okay, so more important than the market because we don't. I, I'm not a markets guy. I'm not a guy. Who was inflation? That's what. That's the bug, man. Okay, so inflation. What uh, what's the outlook on inflation? Do you think? I don't think we run into it now. Um, no, but I'm saying like in in a year, do you think it goes crazy? Because like this kind of posturing, this kind of economic posturing is just, to me, that's really poking the inflation bear. No, I don't think we and do. It's, it's waking I it up. I think that if we, if we see anything, we're going to see price levels maybe go down. Yeah, but I, I, I've always, I've asked you this question a thousand times in the last three months. Why is inflation still so low? So inflation comes from essentially two things. Well, no, it comes from one thing. There's too much money. Um, people are willing to spend insane amounts of money for any good they're just willing to pay more than they were the year before or the period before because they've just got more money of it so money has no value deflation comes from money having too much value that is to say you're you're oversupplying um your market i don't think we're going to be oversupplied so we don't have to worry about deflation i don't think we have to worry about inflation because we're not going to be over because we're not going to be undersupplied to the extent that people are going to go into bidding yeah wars. well the freaking um, the, i mean the the global supply chain Every component in the global supply chain is drastically slowed down. Absolutely. Let's put it this way. So the reason coronavirus is so dangerous and so concerning this year is that it wasn't a thing last year. There is no uh, a tolerance to this. You don't have a... Uh, it's like the first time you went drinking. You don't have a tolerance to alcohol. It's, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And so a little bit can do a lot of damage, right? Um, well, you, you don't have any kind of experience with what's about to happen. That's why my personal we're going opinion... Through a, we're going through the world's 21st birthday, okay, Aaron. But that, okay, but that's also why, in my <laughs> opinion, I think... That's a great analogy. But that's <laughs> Drunkenomics, my friend. Yeah, it's very drunk. <laughs> that was a very drunkenomical analogy. It was brilliant. Yes, it was. I'd say so myself. It was. That was and awesome. This is, the coronavirus is the world's 21st birthday. But that's also why I seriously think there's going to be that inflation barrier. Okay. If we see inflation... So, dude, because I mean, this, this is my rationale. Supply has gone down. Demand yep. has also gone down, but supply has gone down much more drastically than demand. Not for money, but for everything else. Yeah. And the supply of money is evidently going up. So, But the, the supply of... Th so here's what'll happen. It's one of two things. If, if people stay conservative and demand doesn't increase, then we might see deflation... And supply normalizes again. If everyone buys 50 rolls of toilet paper, every single person in the U.S., once toilet paper is back on the shelves, it's devalued, right? Because I've already got 50 rolls right now, right? Yeah, well, and all these production companies are catching up. So once once supply normalizes and they catch up, we might see... Well, no, what I'm saying is like, so all these all these toilet paper production companies are pumping out toilet paper Absolutely. like crazy. They're just trying to meet demand. And, and it's going to gonna have to slow down soon. So really what they should do is they should increase, they shouldn't increase to fill all the orders. They should allow shortages to exist while they catch up because to suddenly increase production and then decrease production again is silly too. Although at the same time, market forces tell them they should sell at the highest price possible, which they currently can. <laughs> or, so that's, or we so, can all be so, constipated. So, so, or we could all buy a bidet. <laughs> um, so it's that, it's that <laughs> hey, I'm all about the bidet, my man. 
Um, if supply catches up and normalizes and demand doesn't return to old levels, we could see deflation. We probably will in some markets. If, we, if supply never normalizes or if supply doesn't catch up or does catch up to old levels and then demand just exceeds that and shoots past that, yeah, then we'll see inflation. If you don't well, see inflation, then you're seeing some sort of monetary interference. Yeah, well, that's that's the outcome I'm seeing. Well, I feel like monetary infer- interference, how inflation has been below 3%, has hovered around 2, 2.3% for I the think, last five years so, is insane. So generally the relationship you see is the, un- is the inflation-unemployment relationship. And the reason I think everyone looks at the unemployment numbers and goes, we should see inflation, is that unemployment is a very useless number. In a gig economy, we have people gig that work economy. Gig, gig, gig. Like I'm playing in a rock gig. Yeah, or, or like, gig. oh, I sell Avon, so they're employed, even though they're really not. People you, who, you sell what? Avon products, makeup for Avon. Oh, the multi-level marketing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's a, they're all considered employed. Remember, so it's it's this thing where you run into people who are like, uh, so in the gig economy that we have now, really for a lot of people is that you work two jobs. Yeah. When you work two jobs, that tells me that neither job is enough to support you. You're not getting benefits from either one of them, so you're not financially secure. Because you're not financially secure, you don't go out and spend money. The, the idea of unemployment, of the unemployment-inflation relationship is predicated upon the idea that you work one job and it's enough to support you. It's a good-paying job. So, and that's not what exists now. So if you... How does working two jobs make the unemployment rate lower. It doesn't. That's what I was going to say. Like, if you're working two jobs... No, but what I'm saying is the way inflation goes up is people have more money and they're willing to spend more money on a good that they used to not spend as much money on because they've got more money. The income effect is what I'm saying. The income effect isn't an issue. There is no income. It isn't an effect now on an economic-wide scale because people are working two jobs. They're too tired to spend their money. They're not, maybe even between their two jobs, they're barely no, getting well, I'm by. Too tired to sleep. So, no, this is, <laughs> this is actually, we've, we've overshot. This is fertile grounds for another episode on unemployment versus inflation. There you have it. That's, that's our outlook on inflation. If, uh, that's if the outlook on what we're dealing with this week. Yeah. If you're tired as well, so I feel like this is a scene out of Network. You ever seen the movie Network? Freaking phenomenal movie. Oh my God. If you're as tired as we are, if you're tired and mad as hell, I have one more thing to say to you. Cheers. Stay drunk and my friends.